My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. It is a pleasant day here in the capital as the spring weather is upon us and joining us on the show today to keep it very much in positive mood are four executives from Venus Healthcare, a specialist healthcare provider that owns and operates care homes in the Greater London area. Those joining us today are Mrs. Kin Nadarajar, Venus Healthcare's co-founder and CEO, Mr. Sri Nadarajar, entrepreneur and another co-founder of the group, Dr. Ramesh Nadarajar, who is a medical practitioner and chief medical director of the company, and also John Yip, the group chief operating officer. Uh, welcome all of you, and by all means, thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the show today. Good morning, Scott. Thank you. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, everyone. Um, now, just for the listeners tuning in today that may not be familiar with Venus Healthcare, the group has been successful in establishing and operating elderly care homes or community care villages, as they prefer to call them, within the Greater London area, and now are looking to roll that solution out outside of the UK too. And with a global population that is ageing, I think it is fair to say that that's a much needed solution. Um, starting with you, uh, Kin, um, the fact that the global population is ageing is a very well-documented issue, of course. However, it is likely to affect developed economies and developing economies very differently. So how would you describe the challenges that the developed world will face on the one hand and then the developing world on the other, please? Well, Scott, um, thank you question. Um, in the developing world, um, the economic development cycle of the economy will play a large part in the kind of challenges that is faced by the government and as well as the the, the people. Um, in, in the developing world, the allocation of resources in terms of the, the government priorities are, are different. And uh, usually they tend to prioritize on the main economic drivers of the economy. And they tend to forget that um, what the elderly uh, needs are. And usually what tends to happen is that the, the women of the families became the default carers. And um, as a result, this um, this day and age, you know, women are, are also economic drivers, but uh, from uh, as a result of lack of uh, funding, as a result of lack of reliable source of care, uh, the women become default parents. So in the uh, developing economy, the main uh, challenge that they face is to make sure that there is a reliable and um, affordable care uh, in place systems and infrastructure in place so that the women can become economic drivers. Uh, and in the developing world, uh, in the developed world, rather, um, the, the systems are already in place, the governance, the infrastructure is already in place. But the issue here is that uh, most of them are in a, in a kind of a warehousing model that's already been meant, uh, you know, um, where people live in a, in a, in a good facility, um, a good environment, but not necessarily in a rehabilitative uh, scale yet. And um, the, the developed countries' economy having to support 
a life cycle, uh, uh, the extension of a life cycle. In other words, people are living much longer than a generation ago. And those are the challenges that they need to take into account in terms of caring, caring for, for the elderly. Uh, but the good thing that I can see, the opportunity coming out from the, the kind of difference in life cycles of developed countries and developing countries, is that developing countries can actually adopt what's already been tried and tested in terms of governance, in terms of uh, 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 care standards, that, and then adapt it to make them better, make them more mm. suitable for their environment, but also at the same, same time try to be more rehabilitative so that, you know, uh, the elderly are not just being put in there uh, uh, to live out the rest of their life, but also give them that quality of life, dignity, um, uh, and enjoyment in, in, in their later years. So that, that is the kind of opportunity that I see between uh, and then the interrelationship between the developed world and the developing world. Mm. And when you talk about those developments in the uh, the developed world, such as the sort of that warehousing model that's come about and the need to change that, um, that's very interesting. That's certainly something that we'll pick up on them a little bit later on. Um, just going over to yourself now, uh, John, um, if nothing is sort of done by way of a, uh, of a solution to this sort of aging population issue that we're facing, how could that in particular affect developing or less developed economies? Just more in focus, please. Right, thank you, Scott, for the question. Uh, by by any measure, the developing and less developed economies would have a larger share in terms of quantity of older people by 2050. Just to give you an example, right? Uh, like Malaysia, the country we are working on now, by 2050, it's going to have one-sixth of the population be age 64 and above, right? So what this means is that if this government in this, uh, the developing as well as developed, economies do nothing, do little to nothing to essentially put in a system and infrastructure to co-finance the economic consumption of the elders, which is also include the elderly care needs. What would happen that you see that there would add tremendous pressure on the economically productive segment of the of the society. But I'll just give you some examples. So if the government does not sort of like uh, provide grant, for example, or provide assistance uh, beyond just uh, beyond just facilities or giving social living assistance, uh, something that's meaningful. So what happens, you, you will tend to see that the the daughters of the family will probably leave the job and support the parents, right? And and in this day of age, uh, as, as Keen has sort of emphasized, women's contribution to economic production actually is very, very important. So if we shift the burden of financing to uh, what they call the families, as well as the close relatives, invariably over time, we will see a massive reduction in the savings as well as investment. And in most of these economies, investments are the key driver to economic uh, production. And I do not believe having, having experience as well as live in the developing economies for, for substantial part of my, my life, and I don't believe that the government can use uh, a fiscal expansionary method uh, policy to basically counteract on a slum in perhaps like investment sector. So overall, um, this the elderly care is what I would call needs a balanced approach as well as a shared responsibility uh, stance in addressing the financing needs for this group of people. 
So, Dr. Ramash, if we go to you next, um, the World Health Organization has identified that although the health needs of the global population are changing, there's still little clinical focus on the real issues that affect older people. Um, why do you believe that's the case and what must be done to try and address that? Thanks for that, Scott. I mean, um, I think what we need to do to answer your question really is to look at the evolution of healthcare systems as they are in place at present. The 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 whole evolution of healthcare um, um, systems have been based on a young working population. The needs of a young working population back then was essentially on the basis of injuries that were sustained during um, during workplaces, injuries that were sustained during transport, and certainly things around the you know the use of things like infectious diseases and everything else. These were the primary things that we saw then. So therefore, a curative model of healthcare needs was used whereby I had a problem, I had an illness, I had an injury, I saw my doctor or access healthcare, I got a diagnosis after investigations, and I then was treated and sent back into a working community where, if at all possible, as you can imagine, things have changed, as you can imagine. You see, with all the advances that we've got now in safety, hygiene, health, you know, with, with the, you know, with transport, and mm. certainly the whole role of medical science is growing quite a lot. A lot of us are now sustaining injuries and living far longer. If you look at the life expectancy, say, in 1920, an average person used to live between 40 and 50 with an average what we term as retirement or pensionable age between 30s and 40s. If you look at the inception of the NHS in the UK, say 1948, average person used to have a life expectancy between 53 and 58. Today, the average life expectancy is between 80 and 83. This is an, you know, at least a two-fold increase in life expectancy over a 100-year period. So what we're getting at, you know, I mean, you know, you know, certainly what we're getting really good at is getting better with illnesses, getting illnesses sorted, getting injuries sorted. But what we're not able to do is to switch off the process of aging. And this is the crucial problem. As a result of this, now we're seeing more increase in long-term conditions as a result of aging illness within a population who is no longer able to work. This is where the current global problem needs addressing. I think, look, you know, if we, if, if we were to sort of address this problem, we need some fundamental changes, changes in both the approach of healthcare, the whole, you know, the whole, in you know, the whole way we think about how do we provide care for the older person. What an older person, I think, um, needs and wants is a better quality of life. You know, at at, at an aged age, so to speak, okay? So a lot of research that we've done in the past has shown that despite living longer, we're not really achieving a substantially improved quality of life. To improve quality of life for an older person, I believe, needs certain things doing. And this is very specific to the elderly population. Things such as chronic pain, mobility, cognitive function, these are the kind of things that needs addressing for a longer term perspective. Now, how do we make changes? This, you know, this is, you know, this is obviously a second part of your question in terms of how do we make changes? Again, we need a much more integrated approach for managing longer term care. This involves the change in mindset, as I've said, as a sort of change in approach. And what we need to talk about are the fundamentals of essentially providing care for the older person based on what is important for them, not what's based on for a general population. I've always talked about, a, you know, essentially a biopsychosocial model of healthcare and, you know, essentially, you know, looking at this process. And I think this would be a very good starting point. Three healthcare questions need to be addressed with elderly care, which is illnesses which are arising from living longer, 
deteriorating, you know, your overall physical state from the natural um, sort of fragility, which includes things like poor hearing, poor vision, poor mobility, and the general cognitive slowdown that affects all of us with time. These health solutions in parallel with what I would say social networks, getting you know much more better, meaningful social networks for the older person can improve quality of life with an increasing life expectancy. Simple things, simple solutions, you know, in, in terms of managing much more suitable built environments which address community integration rather than exclusion must be one of the ways forward, really. So, you know, I believe that technology um, has to be one of the things that we employ because mm. we need to be able to sort of deliver effective, compassionate, yet discrete care technologies which are less labor intensive. Because this is the only way that we can sustain future longer term funding for essentially longer term elderly care, really. Um, one good example of of sort of technology which is in place at present is the use of telepsychiatry, for example, which which monitors cognitive function um, by using a series of questions um, at home for I mean for an older person, and by then sort of completing tasks appropriate to that. This technology then monitors the overall deterioration in sort of cognitive function. This AI tool, I think, is quite important because it can plan care packages for a much more evolving individual for the longer term. We need to look at a global vision, really, because, mm. you know, as I said, the aging population is not going to go away, and we need to look at integrating healthcare needs and improving access to meaningful social networks. Only this can 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 provide a life worth living based on an individual's needs and longer term wishes. I think the, the the sort of current solution that we have, which is the one size or one solution fits all ages approach of mm. um, you know of sort of healthcare system, is no longer a viable option. And I think this needs to change. Yeah, absolutely. And when we consider the fact that sort of healthcare services in both developed and developing economies tend to be incredibly fragmented, and we've seen a lot of talk about that in the UK at the moment with the emergence of the new health and care bill, for instance, um, does that suggest to you that maybe more integrated care systems have to be the sort of the way forward um, in sort of a global sense? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, you know, as I said just now, I think if we don't integrate what we term as healthcare with and, and social care using appropriate tools that we have, I think you know what what is going to happen really is the whole quality of life that we see for the elderly population globally is going to deteriorate, and that's going to have a serious impact on all of us, both economically, socially, and all the other healthcare needs that we need to to sort of perform the function. So I think you know an integrated, uh, I mean, an integrated package is the way forward, really. Mm-hmm. And going over to yourself, uh, Sri, now, um, I understand that what Venus Healthcare is doing at the moment is developing its own solution, which merges the delivery of healthcare with social care in order to provide elderly care on an integrated basis. So for those listeners tuning in that may not be familiar with that solution, do tell us more about that. Sure, thanks. Well, um, I think to answer this question, uh, we need to understand uh, two major fundamentals. Well, one is the fundamentals of the uh, uh, elderly uh, care illnesses, which I call the ecosystem, mm. because everybody's illnesses are different, and, and everybody's illnesses are, are, are is culturally based sometimes. Um, so they have different sets. So we need to understand that. 
The second uh, we need to understand is what we call the, as what Dr. Ram said, the evolution. The evolution. So, okay, let, let's talk about the evolution first. In 60, if you wind the clock back 60 years, you'll find that um, in the UK, in the 1940s, we used to have uh, care facilities uh, based on domiciliary care. So you, you have uh, many people in one room, um, and, and then you have units of that, uh, you know, that is like a big, um, bigger hall with lots of people in it. Then the evolution then moved on to practices where we have uh, many rooms, individual rooms, um, and in, in a big facility. So the average size of an elderly care facility in the UK would be in the region of 80 to 120 beds. Uh, I think the average is, is, is uh, slightly higher as well, in, in my belief, um, but for 80 to 120 beds. This model uh, of care, uh, what we call, uh, is warehousing. So we, we don't believe in that. Um, and, and so the third model as far as the evolution uh, is what we call uh, rehabilitative care. So rehabilitative care means that we have to enable the elderly to lead their life as they would do so, uh, as opposed to being marched from in their room to, uh, to the um, dinner place, back into their rooms, because that is not rehabilitative. That adds a lot of pressure on primary care, on, on the NHS, and that's where you lead. Uh, you, you have a lot of uh, um, primary care interventions in some elderly care facilities. So, so, so second, the, the second fundamental, as I said, is the elderly care illnesses. See, to understand elderly care illnesses, um, it, it is a lot to do with the first point I mentioned. It's about your built environment. So the built environment being conducive, actually spiritually, how, you know, motivates you to do more, to do more, to do more activities, mm -hmm. to socially interact, and then somehow you find yourself, you know what, I, I've forgotten about my so-called headache, so I've forgotten about so-called my back pain, uh, you know, it, it's about that, it's about trying to lead a normal life as much as possible, because it, it is inevitable that as we all get older, we are going to have medical problems, uh, but that's not the reason to warehouse uh, and I find the uh, the way we UKs at the moment it, it's uh, it's fundamentally uh, on on a, on, a, on a warehousing stay phase. Um, now, what we are promote, what we are uh, hoping to achieve is what we call a community care village. So, our community care village uh, creates what we call a healthy township. Um, so, within the healthy township, you have the care of the elderly. You have um, you have uh, the key workers residing in that village. You, you also have guest facilities of the uh, families who come to visit. And, and you also have commercial, uh, kind of uh, minor commercial facilities. So you've recreated a uh, safe environment. It's what I call inside-outside concept, where you're actually inside, but you feel like you're outside. So, so the, it encourages the elderly to, to do a lot more. Uh, and, and that's very, very important because that's fundamental to everybody's uh, mindset. How ill do I feel today when they wake up? No, you, you're not ill. You, you, can, you, can, you can go and meet friends. And that mindset has to change. And so that's very rehabilitated. And as what um, was mentioned previously, 
this is a long-term solution. We, you know, because the uh, aging um, parameters are getting higher, um, you know, we, we need to have long-term solutions where, where people are able to live uh, within a community, but yet feel safe and looked after within the community, and that's very important. So understanding the ecosystem is very, very important. Now, as, um, as mentioned earlier, uh, tech advances are, are, are very important because tech advances does three things for us. One is it, it reduces the operational costs um, because, as, as you know, the, you know, we need to keep the care affordable. So, and we, if it's not affordable, then we, we are then catering only for a very small uh, portion of the population. We have to make it affordable for majority of the population, and the care village model uh, enables that. So the tech technology, um, the tech advances, uh, uh, makes it, um, so let's say, affordable by, by, by uh, efficient operations costs. Second is also risk. It, it manages the risk um, by having tech. We, we, we can manage our staff quality. Uh, we can manage uh, the kind of interventions that's taking place. And thirdly, it gives the uh, evidence to the funders, uh, the local authorities in the UK, um, you know, real-time evidence to what care is being provided. And these are the three things, um, in, you know, that we need to to provide in, in a what we call a ecosystem of a care in order to make it work. So to, to you know, to provide that uh, integrated care facilities is the way forward, and and you know understanding um, the, key, the key fundamentals uh, is it, it, it's what's needed, and we have incorporated these fundamentals within our modeling, within our our, our, our strategies. So in the long term, the Ministry of Health uh, would find that it's got a, a a consistent cost of looking after an elderly up to a longer um, a longer lifespan, and, and that's what needs to be achieved. As, uh, and 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 I suppose um, that helps with the um, crystallizing of of the of the more uh, the products within each country as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're absolutely right in what you say about that. I think we do need a real sort of change in approach. I think that's certainly very very true. Um, and then going over to sort of yourself now, uh, John, um, what challenges will sort of Venus Healthcare actually need to navigate in order to make that community care village project that sounds so incredible a reality now? Uh, thank you, Scott. I think the challenges we face are two-pronged. Number one is the general lack of understanding. Number two is what we call this mismatch of expectations. Now, let me start off with a lack of understanding. Now, from the various stakeholders that we are working with, let's start off with landowners. Now, the landowners slash property developers uh, in the various countries they're working, uh, working on, they would see health elderly care homes as just a what they call a real estate development play. For them, elderly care homes are nothing but, let's say, a condo, a block of condos, perhaps an inbuilt uh, wheelchair friendly facilities, as well as other acute care treatment required facilities. So to them, these homes just need to bolt on a third party services. So they're more interested in selling the homes, no different uh, in selling homes, uh, in selling apartments. So for 
for local government and what because they have not seen the integrated care model before, so they always draw parallel to nursing homes. Mm. So by that, so they will throw the entire rule book that pertains to governing uh, nursing homes on on something like what we and what we're trying to do, and basically tell us that look, this is what you need to comply without necessarily understanding that our model is peculiar, our model is more human centric, and over and above that, the people that we require to run this community care villages needs to be specially trained as well as recertified. Now, when it comes to investors and financiers, or while they, because they have not seen this kind of model before in their home countries, so by and large, you try to picture, is this a, a real estate development play? Is this a real estate time-sharing play? Or is this just a hospital? So in most of the time, because they put on such uh, disparate lands, and, and, and it becomes incumbent upon us to basically tell them that, look, hey, you need to look at this from a ground-up perspective, from a needs perspective, as what Sri has highlighted. Mm. So, in short, um, we we do run into mismatch of these expectations as we speak to different stakeholders. But I think with uh, sufficient knowledge sharing, uh, I think the gap has been somewhat uh, narrow. And if we can narrow this gap further and essentially bring them across to where we are in terms of understanding what we want to do with our business model, that in itself, uh, I believe, would deliver uh, a very effective and efficient ec- ecosystem that allow the elderly to live with independence and dignity. Yeah, absolutely. I think a real part of making that happen is going to be really kind of pressing the benefits of this ecosystem there, as you were call it, for sure. And um, we talked about some of the uh, the benefits that it will bring to elderly care already, just going back to you now, Sri, of course. But what other benefits will this community care village project bring that we really want to be pushing out there at this point in time? So the benefits to the community um, is, is, you know, the, uh, the social interaction uh, you know the activities, and, and and these are the two key elements of living longer. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been proven, it's been tested uh, by various uh, associations, universities around the world. Um, in to look after elderly is to keep them active, is to keep them so, social socially uh, um, so so like integrate them socially. Uh, with their uh, with their peer groups, with their friends, uh, with, their, with their families, uh, and and I, I, the benefits of the community, um, you know, is they they could um, um, you know be the catalyst to a um, a, a, a development um, where um, you know it creates the townships surrounding them, uh, as opposed to review care homes. Um, as warehousing units, no, we we don't, you know, we we want youngsters to say, I, I like to live in that healthy township, um, and as part of, yes, I I accept that there is an elderly portion in there, but you know, working and living together would, would actually, uh, you know, enable both both parts of of the uh, kind of uh, age groups to you know, to understand each other, and, and that helps. That helps the community, uh, you know, because we should not be, um, you know, kind of, so to say, uh, placing your elderly in the care home and walking away from it. The responsibility carries on from 
from from the fact that you're part of that society, you're part of the community. Yeah, it certainly makes sense uh, from my perspective, and it is fantastic. It's uh, not just, of course, helping elderly care, but it's sort of bringing those real community values back into the fold that you've uh, talked about. And in order to kind of deliver this, really, just going back to yourself, John, before we finish up now, um, what time frame for the delivery of this project can realistically be expected? And indeed, in the short term, what are you really hoping to achieve this year in pursuit of these longer-term aims to initially get the community care village off the ground? Well, as, as we speak right now, Scott, we are into the advanced stage of master planning our elderly care homes or community care village development in Malaysia. Uh, we are we have actually partnered with a government entity who's going to join us as both joint developer in addition to being landowner. So... For this year, we we hope and we anticipate and we are confident that we'll be able to sign a joint development agreement with this government entity. And if all goes well, by perhaps end of first half of next year, 2023, we should begin uh, EarthWorks uh, in earnest. Uh, as also, at the, at the same time, I think we have sort of uh, received a lot of uh, unsolicited interest uh, closer to home in the UK. Uh, by various parties, stakeholders, including uh, the public sector, of a sort of like uh, implementing the integrated community care village that we were talking about in the UK. But uh, by by all means, those are still work in progress. Even so, it's um, a fantastic vision that you have at Venus Healthcare, and I certainly do wish you all of the luck in the world in being able to execute that over the uh, the coming year and indeed beyond. And uh, let's hope to see this project really, really take off in the uh, the near future because it is incredibly exciting. And I must say, just given how enlightening it's been welcoming you all onto the show with us today, I'd relish the opportunity to have you all back on the programme in future just to maybe provide an update on how the project is uh, is coming along. It was a real pleasure welcoming Kin Nadarajar, Sri Nadarajar, Dr. Ramesh Nadarajar and John Yip onto the programme today from Venus Healthcare Group and I hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Until next time, you've been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with your host Scott Chaloner. Take care and goodbye.